Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, I'm Desi Jedekin. And I don't have any celebrity news this week other than our president's an asshole. <laughs> but that's really it. We're not a political show. so And that's not really news because it's constant. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to give a quick shout out before we get started to our Patreon contributors. I'm not going to read all of them because we're up to 24 contributors now. Wow. Exciting. But I'm just going to give a shout out to a handful of them and I'm going to organize them next week so I can decide who's getting, who's on the rotation. But let's give a shout out to Ron Jeremy. I wonder if that's the real Ron Jeremy. He donated a lot. So obviously really happy about that. Um, Alan, John, Mr. Brain Freeze, Frank. Patrick, let's give a shout out to our friend Chris Tognati who pledged five dollars, <laughs> so he has access to our weekly bonus episodes. Of course, it's worth it. Yeah, um, someone named HR Cafe, Bob, Jewel, Matthew, Jeff. Okay, I'm gonna stop there for now. I think okay. I read the other ones last week, okay. so but I'll read, I'll read, I'll read them again next week. But thank you guys so much for contributing to our show. If you would like to be a Patreon contributor, you will get access to our bonus episodes, which are super dirty and erotic, and I think you'll really highly like erotic. Them. They're highly erotic. You can jerk <laughs> off to them in your spare time. Um, for $5, you can get that. For $1, we'll give you a shout-out on the show, and you'll have access to patron-only polls, which we'll be doing our first poll as soon as we hit $500. So tell your friends to donate to our show. This costs money to put on, and uh, we really appreciate the people who have donated. And as always, our show will be free. We want your listenership more than your money, but we want your money, but we appreciate our <laughs> listeners regardless. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get all that out there right now. Oh, that's fine. And thank you also to the nice reviewers. I read all of our oh, reviews. Oh, yeah. The reviews are really sweet. Yeah. I we, like them. Yeah. We got some really nice ones this past week. I saw those. Yeah. So if you leave us a review on iTunes, you don't even have to write a review. You can just make it anonymous, leave five stars. If you leave five stars, it really helps us. Right. But d- tell me on Twitter if you leave a review so I can see it and I can be like, oh, hey. Yeah. <laughs> Like I'm like, sure that's a thrill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi. Thanks. Hi, thank Kissy you. Face. Yes. Um, actually, I think I did make an offer that I would retweet your favorite tweet if you show me your review. I don't know if yeah. that's a good incentive. Right. Um, I, I'll retweet yeah, your favorite we'll tweet well. if awesome. you show me your review this yeah. week. Cool. Okay. Okay. Well, so this week um, we are going to talk about um, one of the great love stories of our time. <laughs> Uh, Sid and Nancy. All Rachel, right. did you see the movie um, Sid and Nancy? Okay, don't hate Are me. Are you like... I'm one of those people that you'd think I would have seen the movie 12 times. Right. But no, I haven't. Even though I'm a huge Gary Oldman fan, he's my favorite actor. Right. And I've actually met Chloe Webb before. She's like 
so sweet and so nice. Yeah. But I haven't seen the movie. Okay. Well, um, I was like a little, you know, punk wannabe when yeah. I was in high school. So obviously I had to run out and see that movie, even though I was not particularly a Sex Pistols fan. It's sort of like you have to, you know, right. see that movie at some right. point, right? It's iconic. Uh, yeah. It's a good movie and I do recommend it. So this is sort of, um, you know... There isn't much conflict between the reality and the movie, but it is a good movie, and it's dark as hell. Right. Um, so yeah, so I did see the movie uh, a while ago. I haven't I haven't revisited it yet. So anyways, I'm gonna get into the story, and we'll start with um, kind of the backstories. We'll start with Sid. Um, so he was born May 10th, 1957, and you might be surprised to find out that his real name is not Sid Vicious. Oh. He was actually born John Simon Ritchie. Did he change it at Ellis Island? Yes, he did. <laughs> um, uh, he was born to John and Anne Ritchie. Uh, she eventually becomes Anne Beverly. Uh, and I thought this is an interesting tidbit. Uh, his dad was a semi-professional trombone player on the London jazz scene. Wow. <laughs> Never quite heard that credit before. Um, so when he was about 17, that's sort of where he started going into London and hitting on this London punk scene, which was sort of thriving at right. that time in the early 70s. Um, he started hanging around, which is something I didn't know, with uh, Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood had a clothing store called Sex at the time, and it was like sort of this hotbed hangout for punks, for young punks. Um, another interesting thing that I had never heard before was around this time he met Chrissy Hind, who was, I think he was 17 and she was 22, uh, and she was in London, this is before she started The Pretenders. And she tried to get him to marry her so she could get a work permit. Permit, but they never, it never went through. Yeah, I know. It was like he what? was only seventeen. Yeah. So, so um, it's around this time in 1973 that he met John Johnny Lydon or John Lydon, and um, Lydon describes meeting Richie at the time. He hadn't changed his name yet as uh, sort of like a um, David Bowie fan and like a clothes hound. He was very into his like image. And this is like a recurring theme with him sort of as we go through the story. Like he had like this cool fucking image, right? Right. Um, and it was actually John Lydon who gave him the nickname Sid Vicious. And uh, he was, this story sounds so corny. It can't be true, but maybe it is. I have no idea. Apparently Lydon had a pet hamster at the time named, named Sid. And it bit Richie, and then Richie res- Richie responded, Sid is really vicious. Oh, come on. That sounds fake. <laughs> it That's... sounds too, like, dead on, right? Like, well, it also sounds like the kids' bop version of right, what like, happened. Right, like, hey, like, this yeah. This is a vicious, mean old Like, hamster. my peanut butter fell into your chocolate or <laughs> Um, whatever. So that's supposedly the story. Um, they were squatting together at the time. Of course, they're squatting, right? And Johnny Lydon you're talking about, of course, is Johnny Rotten. Right, but not at the moment. Not yet. Not yet. Um, so they also kind of started their musical career together at this time by busking for money and, and Sid played tambourine, like, kind of like a punk rock Tracy Partridge or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So, at this time, Richie, uh, or Sid Vicious now, he started trying to become a musician. Um, He had no real musical talent, but he had the look, like we mentioned before. He actually, one of his first big gigs was with Susie and the Banshees at something called 100 Club Punk Festival, which was like a big punk thing at the time. Uh, 
At this time, he was also up to be the lead singer of The Damned, with along with um, Dave and Ian. I don't know if that's the correct way to say it. But he actually didn't show up for the audition. And then, of course, when he didn't get the gig, he blamed Dave for sabotaging him somehow. Wow. This is also where he started really becoming like the angry fucking hothead, asshole, right. whatever you want to call it. So at day two of this punk festival that I mentioned before, the 100 Club punk special uh, festival or whatever, um, he went to see the damned perform and obviously he was fucking pissed, right? <laughs> so he showed up drunk and on amphetamines and at some point during the performance he threw a glass at the stage but the glass that he was trying to throw at the singer that re- got the job over him, he actually missed him and the, it shattered on a pillar and partially blinded a girl who was at the show. Wow. Um, this tidbit I thought was funny, not the blinding, but <laughs> he was arrested for that and he went to jail and Vivian Westwood sent him a book about Charles Manson in jail to keep him entertained while he was there. <laughs> Move. I know. I was like, oh my god, Vivian. Like, I knew I loved her, but like, right. now it's like official. Right. So, anyways, in 1975, the Sex Pistols were formed by Malcolm McLaren, who owned the shop, and he was kind of like a visual artist and I don't know, a gadfly. Right. <laughs> he owned the boutique, and then he's managing this band that, and he had this like flair for sort of promotion. So the band kind of made their mark by creating these controversies that got them a lot of publicity. Um, an interesting thing was that, uh, how Johnny Lydon or Johnny Rotten got the gig was Vivian Westwood told Malcolm that you should get the guy that's called John who comes into the store, uh, to be the singer. And he accidentally got Johnny Rotten or Johnny Lydon at the time, uh, instead of John Ritchie, right. who was Sid Vicious. So... It was like a weird twist that he was actually going, he could have been the lead singer of that band, which would have been a, actually a better role for him. And then Malcolm McLaren has said before numerous times that if he had met Vicious first, he would have been the singer. Um, and he thinks he had like a charisma that would have made him like a great right. front man. Um, and Malcolm McLaren also said if Johnny Rotten is the voice of punk, then Vicious is the attitude. Uh, another person, Alan Jones, who's kind of like an expert on punk and friends with Vicious, said that he had the iconic punk look. Sid on Image Alone was what punk rests on. So he just had this vibe about him that was really cool. Now there's this uh, whole, I mean, Sex Pistols are really, I would consider, like the iconic punk band just in that they were in the early days of punk in the 70s. They, when people think of punk rock, they think they think of the Sex Pistols. Like I said, they're very iconic. Right. But also there is, I think like true punk purists see the Sex Pistols as, well, they, were, they weren't even musicians. They were just formed sort of like a Josie and the Pussycats. Right. They were like very much based on the image of punk rock as opposed to I think that the music first. I think that's like a little bit unfair. Like I think they were put together. But I feel like because Vicious became such the standout and he right. actually did not play an instrument, right. he kind of gave that image to them. But it's not exactly true. Like the right. other people were musicians and played instruments right. and whatnot. Um, another interesting thing, um, uh, at the time, Sid was like the, pis- the Sex Pistols' number one fan. Like 
So he wasn't in the band initially. Okay. He's not an original member or whatever. But he was their number one fan, and he is very close uh, friends with um, Johnny Rotten. Right. He also, like, another interesting fact is that, I just have so many fun facts, he invented the pogo, the dance. Really? That's like his... That's sort of like this legendary thing that he invented that jumping for and kind younger, of thrashing. For a younger guess, the pogo is a move that was popular in the early punk days and uh, early post-punk days. It's pretty self-explanatory. You literally are just jumping up on two like feet. In, yeah. You still see it at ska shows. Right. So in February of 1977, the bassist for the band, Glenn Matlock, left the Sex Pistols, and well, I don't know exactly why, but the reason I liked the best that I heard was that he got kicked out because he admitted to liking the Beatles. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. I'm going to just go with that. It, it might not be true, but it's pretty fucking pretty hilarious. Funny. There was something also where he, they were like, he wouldn't shut the fuck up about Paul McCartney. <laughs> well, that might just laugh. be irritating. Yeah, it's very, yeah. Um, and that's when Sid was asked to join the band, um... Basically, he didn't know how to play the bass, literally, like, at all. But they're like, this guy is and the perfect And he's friends with, with Johnny Rotten and whatever. Um, in fact, he is really only playing bass on half of a song on the Nevermind the Bullocks, Here's the Sex Pistols albums. Like, he's not on any of the songs. The guitar player actually had to double up and play bass on most of the numbers, um, he also wasn't really involved in the album making because he has, he had hepatitis at the time and was hospitalized for most of the recording of the album. This is kind of where, uh, Nancy sponging comes in. Uh, she was visiting him every day at the hospital and she's, you know, I don't want to say she's like the sex pistols, Yoko Ono, <laughs> but maybe, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far, but that's kind of where that was sort of around the time they met and she became his devoted uh, girlfriend. So now I'm going to get a little bit into Nancy, who was born Thursday, February 27th, 1958 in Philly. Uh, Hello. <laughs> she actually was born, she had problems, complications at birth where she was um, being strangled or choked by her umbilical cord during the delivery. So she kind of had oxygen, oxygen deprivation. Um, and this is like a, you know, you know, looking back, this might be a little funny. Apparently she appeared to suffer no brain damage sorry, <laughs> at the time. So the Spongers were like actually a middle-class Jewish family. So she grew up in like a very normal kind of situation, but apparently she was like difficult from the beginning, a very difficult baby. I wonder if she was my mom's neighbor. Sound they grew up in I know, Philly right? around yeah. the same time in a Jewish so, neighborhood. Uh, she was throwing fits and had temper tantrums. Um, at three months old, she was described barbiturates, which I can't even believe because she had such violent behavior so even as school. a newborn. Yeah. Um, and then her mom, there's a quote of her mom's where it says, I know it's normal for babies to scream, but Nancy did nothing but scream. So I love this like kind of iconic like punk rock woman started off fucking screaming, screaming. her hat off. Right. Right. She was really smart. Uh, she scored really high on like intelligence test. Um, but she was really violent and started sort of beating the shit out of her younger sister at some point, but was always really nice to her brother. I don't know. Uh, That's she threatened sexist. to, yeah, she threatened to kill her babysitter with scissors. Ouch. Um, she attempted to beat the shit out of her psychiatrist who accused her of acting out for attention. And then I guess she fucking proved it. And then, uh, much like me, she was expelled from school for truancy. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, she 
like what got sent to a fancy private school after that. She ran away from that. She attempted suicide by slitting her wrist with scissors. And then when she was 15, she was actually diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia. So pretty uh, crazy uh, childhood. Then she went to um, the University of Colorado, Colorado at Boulder. She got expelled from there too. And she actually got arrested for um, buying pot and having stolen property. So she was just like fucking bad. She was actually banished from the state of Colorado, which I didn't even know was fucking possible right? as part of her plea bargain that her father kind of worked out for her. Uh, it was at this point that she moved to New York City. I think she was like 17, right? Uh, where she began her work as a stripper and a prostitute. Okay. And that's probably, that's what she proudly called herself. Um, she also became kind of a groupie. She, um, was fucking around with every band in town, like Aerosmith, Bad Company, New York Dolls, Ramones, you name it. She kind of lived her life devoted to pissing people off. Uh, she got the reputation um, for just being verbally and violent, verbally abusive and violent, and people started calling her nauseating Nancy, <laughs> which is I was actually impressed because I was like, I think that's the proper use of the word, like not nauseous, but, but nauseating. nauseating. Yes, right. So I mean, they were punk, but they had, but they had proper, <laughs> yeah, they were grammar Nazis. vocabulary. Um, there was a there's a guy Legs McNeil, and he's like uh, one of the founders of Punk Magazine, which is like the seminal punk rock magazine at the time. And he, he actually said that she wasn't any more fucked up than anyone else. And then his quote to like make that seem okay was, Joey Ramone pulled a knife on his mother one time. We were all disturbed. <laughs> Sounds like, Who are we to judge? Yeah, right. There before the grace of God go I. So she's kind of like a Pamela DeBar, like a total fucking groupie on the scene. Um, the one thing I thought was kind of cool, though, was someone s described her as like, she wasn't trying to be cute or charming uh, she didn't tell people she was a model or a dancer. She walked around with like mousy brown hair, a little bit overweight. And she's like, yeah, I'm a prostitute and I don't care. I <laughs> so it's like, that. you gotta kind of love that. Um, so in 1976, she moved to London because basically people got fucking tired of her shit in New York and she had she to kind of, she had to go to London, the London punk scene and ruin everything there. Um, so I think she tried to hook up with Johnny Rotten initially, uh, and then that's when she met Sid Vicious and they moved in together shortly after meeting and he actually lost his virginity to her. No way. I know. Isn't that shocking? Who I does mean, mess before they fuck? I honestly wow. was shocked by that. I don't know. How old was he? I mean, he must have been like, been 19, like or... 19 or something. Yeah. That's I, mean, I guess it's possible, but it wild. seems so crazy to me that he wouldn't have fucked by now. I mean, I don't know. And maybe, if that's... maybe he was so fucked up he couldn't like fuck. I don't right. know how it works. That's just wild. Um, so, anyways, now they're together. I told you about the hepatitis, blah, 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 blah. In January, so that was 1977 when they met. In January of 1978, this is when the sex people, the, the sex pit people, the sex pistols went on their big U.S. tour. This is where everything fucking fell apart. The tour lasted maybe one to two weeks. Wow. Before uh, the band broke up, it was a hot fucking mess of a tour <laughs> and like everyone fucking hated each other so some of the things uh there was like a, a multitude of problems that weren't all caused by Sid Vicious 
but his heroin habit was um, really bad at this time, and he was just like a fucking monster. He didn't play an instrument, so he'd basically be on stage just fucking causing um, problems. Doing the pogo, causing drama. Right. So some of the things that he did on this tour, and I'm going to tell you, there's some language that's very problematic, <laughs> but I'm just going to fucking say it because this is a funk rock episode, and we don't apologize for this stuff. It's the facts, people. Uh, <laughs> he hit an audience member um, on the head with his bass. Because the audience member had antagonized him by shouting out faggot fucker for <laughs> hitting him. Which I feel like is kind of... That's right. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to think about. You should just I felt like, Yeah, like, I don't know what the fucker... The addition of fucker is why I was amused by it. Like, a faggot fucker. <laughs> like, it's almost like you're not even gay, but you fuck gay people. <laughs> right? Right. So I don't know what it was. Uh, then in another thing... Um, on another show, he carved the words "Give me a fix" into his chest with Give a, me a rake. fix. Give me a fix. Give me too, like G I M M E. Give me a fix. He um, received simulated oral sex on stage and declared, "That's the kind of girl I like." So I guess he lost his virginity, and then he was just like, "Hey, suck it." <laughs> um, he also spat blood at a woman who then climbed on stage and punched him in the face. When I'm like, "Who is this fucking hero?" Like, yeah, it was really hot. So anyways, the tour ended basically right. after one to two weeks. So all of these things happened in like such a short period. It's quite amazing. Uh, but the band was over. So after just two and a half years, um, they had one, that one album and four singles. Uh, but they, like you said, they made their mark on popular music. They kind of uh, initiated this punk movement and kind of became whatever, like the iconic their punk icons. band. Yeah. So it's always kind of surprising when you look back and you're like, oh, they weren't even, they had one album. <laughs> they like right. weren't even together that long and uh, whatever. So anyways, after the band ended, uh, um, Nancy became his manager, of course, right? She's his trap queen, <laughs> like his wow. manager, his like get, got him his That's drugs. That's always and, like, a good idea. Him. I mean, if you see the movie, there's really funny scenes where she's like borderline keeping things together like come on you gotta get to the get to your gigs but right. then at the same time you're not getting heroin <laughs> until you do this and like he would do all the heroin and like she'd be mad at him she's like you need to get to your gig but then she'd also be like and also fuck you for doing all the heroin right. like so they're like a mess um because she was a drug addict too. of course yeah and they people even say that she's the one who got him hooked on heroin but i don't know if that's Ugh. it's always like blame the woman right right um, so he was performing mostly in New York City at Max's Kansas City, the iconic uh, club, um, and that's when they moved into the Chelsea Hotel in uh, New York City, which I remember going to when I was like in high school, like going to see it. Yeah. Like a big, I was like, that's it, and it's kind of like nothing when you're going there to see it. You're like, oh, okay. Oh. Um, and that's where they were in room 100, and they were registered as Mr. and Mrs. John Simon Ritchie, his his real name. And they basically lived there and just fucking spiraled into, like, drugs and right. despair and uh, beating the shit out of each other. I mean, it was, They were you know, physically abusive to each right. other, right? So that, um, on the morning of October 1978, October 12, 1978, um... At 11 o'clock in the morning, the clerk from the, the front desk actually received a call from outside the hotel from a man saying there's trouble in room 100. 
the clerk sent a bellman up there and he got another call from room 100 of someone saying, someone is sick, I need help. So when the bellman got up to room 100 and came inside, he saw Nancy sort of soaked in blood, just wearing black bras and panties, face up on the floor, her head under the sink with a knife wound, a single knife wound in her um, lower abdomen. There was blood, like a blood trail in the bathroom. Uh, and there was a blood-stained empty bed. Um, the bellman ran downstairs, they called the ambulance, the paramedics came up, Nancy was dead. Did I say it was Nancy? Yes, it was <laughs> Nancy. <laughs> um, and then there was a, a knife sitting there and drugs and drug paraphernalia lying around and Sid was apparently wandering the halls crying and fucking fucked up as hell. Um, someone reported hearing him say, I killed her, I can't live without her. She must have fallen on the knife, like this kind of stuff. He was crying and just fucking distraught. Um, he actually had said numerous things about what happened, but he was a drug addict, so... Who's to say? <laughs> Who's to say? He claims that he woke up to find her. Uh, it was his knife that was used, and he actually had bought the knife several days before. It was a, called a 007 flip knife, and it was the same one given to Stiv Baders of the Dead Boys by Dee Dee Ramone, and he liked it so much that he went out and bought the knife. So that was the knife that was used. Can I just say that... The whole excuse of falling, someone falling on the knife, that, that seems to be a really popular It's like falling of, on the dick when you cheat. Like, oh, she right. got my I just dick. fell on it. Like, it was an accident. How many yeah. people have actually fallen on a knife? Well, I mean. I guess if you really In this up, situation, I can see how it might not fall on the knife, but like. But I feel like there would be more. I mean, it just seems like one single stab wound. Right. I don't so know. So he. Another, a few of the stories he gave, I mean, there was the initial one where he just said, I killed her, and she fell on the knife. He also said that they were fighting, um, he stabbed her, but he never meant to kill her, and then he, you know, also would say, I didn't, I don't really remember, um, but yeah, and then he did say during the argument, they fell on the, she fell on the knife, and then there was also a rumor that he confessed to the murder, like, openly, and said, I did it because I'm a dog, a dirty dog. Uh, another interesting thing I heard, like after the fact, when they're getting witness statements, someone said that they did hear that night, some sometime in the middle of the night, a faint cry, ah, <laughs> but they didn't do anything because it was the Chelsea Hotel and that shit was happening all the time. Um, kind of like the Wonderland House, right. right? Yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So he was arrested and charged with murder, basically, because... I mean, come on. Yeah. Do the math. So after the murder, I guess he was out on bail or something, but he was about town, like going to Max's Kansas City and just fucking a wreck on like more heroin than ever. Um, he was kind of like even bigger celebrity after this happened. Like people, you know, he's on the news yeah. every day and da 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 da. Uh, he's in Max's Kansas City. People are buying him drinks and giving him more drugs than ever. He's just walking around all fucking puffy faced and looking like disgusting, you know, fucking junkie. 
I mean, no offense, junkies. Um, uh, so 10 days after this, uh, he attempted to commit suicide by slitting his wrist with a smashed light bulb. I wonder if he was smoking out of the light bulb. Right. Yeah, because I've heard of that. Right. Yeah, you can smoke crack. Right. You can smoke all kinds of stuff out of the light bulb. And I just wonder if that's what I picture in my head. Right, because he that, had it out. And he's like, oh, I'm a Fuck, fucking yeah. loser. Yeah. So he actually went, he was hospitalized at Bellevue, and he tried to kill himself again by jumping out the window and apparently shouting, I want to be with my Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> I like how I just... My Nancy. Oh, my nauseous yeah, yeah. Nancy. My na- or nauseated. Nauseating. I miss being nauseated. <laughs> uh, and then... He was like doing interviews because he's kind of like this bigger celebrity now because of what happened. So he was out on bail, right? He wow. uh, he said the death. He would do an interview, and in the interview, he said it never was supposed to happen. But Nancy always said she'd die before she was twenty-one. I mean, it's all so over-the-top punk, like right. everything. Um, and he, I guess at some point, the, the um, interviewer asked him if he was having fun. And he said, are you kidding? I want to be under the ground. I mean, I feel like this was me when I was 16. Right. <laughs> um, so anyways, while he's out, he uh, he's out of the hospital now. He gets charged with assault. He attacked Todd Smith, who is the brother of singer Patti Smith, at a Scoffish concert at, at at Hurrah, which was a New York City dance club at the time. So he's arrested again on December 9th, 1978 for this assault and sent to Rikers Island uh, for 55 days. And that's where he kind of starts undergoing like an enforced detoxification. Wow. So his mom's back in the picture now, and Beverly, who is also a junkie, by the way. Uh, And this is an amazing detail that actually made me scream with delight when I read it. She visited him in Rikers and would smuggle heroin in her vagina <gasps> to him. <laughs> oh my god. Which is like that is just like such junkiedom where like you really have to be like that is that is the most drug addict I mean, thing I've, I've ever heard. heard. Where you smoke I mean look, smoking smoking heroin that came from someone's vagina is already pretty hardcore, but when it's your mother's vagina... I mean, I've heard of mothers lifting cars off their children and, like, getting the strength to do these things. But, like, I feel like I saw that in some show one time and screamed, like, the night of, or, or some, like, show, I can't remember what, where a mom did that, and I was just like, what the actual... Oh, she was, like, smuggling it in for her son to sell, but he had to get it out of his mom's pussy or something. Oh, man. That's dedication. Yeah, it's dedication. So he, uh, at some point he gets out of Rikers, he gets released on bail again. The bail was $50,000 and Richard Branson of Virgin Records actually ponied up the money, but then Johnny Lydon, but he has, uh, like a reputation of being contrary. (laughs) He says that Mick Jagger actually did it, but he, um, never took the publicity for it. So who knows what happened? Anyways, he's out on bail. And that was uh, February 1st, 1979. That night, Sid's new girlfriend, by the way, four months later. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If I was Nancy, I'd be spinning in my grave right. being like, you motherfucker, you killed me. It's or, amazing how fast it got over it. you're supposed to be under the ground, dead right now with me. Mm-hmm. And you're fucking some other chick right now. I'm right. so pissed. So... He gets out on bail, and his new girlfriend named Michelle Robinson, and she was an aspiring actress. Oh, I already hate her. Uh, yeah. 
they had a dinner at her party at, at her party a dinner at her apartment with um jerry only of the misfits and future d generation founding member howie pyro who i knew in new york and had no idea that he was so deep involved in this uh, mess hot. yeah um so they're at this party uh celebrating his release he had been on a detoxification methadone program during Rikers Island, I guess, except for the pussy heroin, right? which maybe was just too hard to get a ton of. So he was basically sort of detox. I don't know exactly yeah. how it works. This detail cracked me up for some reason. After eating spaghetti bolognese, <laughs> which made me like fucking hungry, uh, he asked his mom to get him some more heroin. And of course she uh, got him some, but it wasn't strong enough for him. So somebody else went out to get him heroin, which was supposedly 95% pure. And he shot that up and collapsed because he was so weakened. Yeah. Like he didn't have the tolerance, obviously, right. after being in jail. Um, his mom and girlfriend sort of revived him after he, whatever, got fucked up. Um, so they didn't call an ambulance. They kind of just took care of it himself. Uh, they put him into the bed where he shot up again. Um, After they revived mm -hmm. him. Um, and then his mom found him the next morning dead of an overdose. Wow. Um, apparently, uh, he his body, which I've never heard of such a thing, his body was not taken in by any of the um, funeral homes in New York. They didn't want to take him because of the hubbub and the reputation. Like maybe they just thought... There'd be too much. They don't want to be yeah. in a funeral home that right. took care of Sid Vicious. So he got cremated, um, and I guess that, I guess he had said he wanted to be buried next to Nancy, but she was buried in a Jewish cemetery, and, and her mom was like, fuck no. like Or I don't even know. Right. I guess you can't be buried, but I think the mom was also like, fuck no. Like, right. Um, so the mom, Jerry Only, and um, Howie Pyro took his ashes to Philadelphia and scattered them on top of her grave. I wonder if the new girlfriend was like, <laughs> I know, right? Um, then Howie Pyro, he, he goes on to say, um, there was a documentary that came out in 2009. Uh, he says that he thinks uh, Spongin killed herself. And his quote is, to me, she just did it to herself because that's what people like her do, like teenagers who cut themselves. Uh, he, that's a pretty big cut. Yeah, but I, but I could see, like, I mean, that's what uh, Elliot Smith did, Elliot right? Smith stabbed himself in the heart. Right. Yeah. So uh, he said that he thought Nancy was so desperate for attention, she stabbed herself thinking that Sid would come to her rescue, but he was too fucked up to find her in time, and so she, she basically bled out. Right. Um, anyways, after he died, the NYPD closed the case. Now, this is not the only alternate theory to Sid Vicious murdering her, right? Which I don't actually think happened personally <laughs> you don't think that he murdered her i'm not that certain that right. he intentionally i don't know i, I mean he might have like but i, I don't think it was like murder i'm murdering you like i can imagine them being in a brawl yeah and him stabbing her to like they're in the middle of brawling you're so, and they're so fucked up and they're right. drunk or whatever right. high and right. he stabs her like fuck you bitch and then he runs down the hall i mean the bottom line is no one really knows right because he's too fucked up to give a testimony and about what happened. Dead. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> um, so the theories are, the other theories are basically, um, there were two drug dealers who visited them that night. So they're thinking that 
it was possible um, the drug dealers came in um, and robbed them. And instead of just like letting it happen, Nancy, like Sid is passed out and right. Nancy fought back and, and got stabbed. One of the people was um, a guy called Rockets Red Glare. Uh, and he, I guess at some like point... Like by the I, Rockets Red yeah, Glare? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He's also an actor and a stand-up comic, by the way. <sighs> Uh, so that he delivered 40 capsules of hydromorphone, morphone, I don't know what that is, it sounds morphine-y, uh, <laughs> to the couple sometime that night. Um, he always denied that he did anything, but he also said there was another drug dealer named Michael, in quotes, that was there that evening too, uh, who was bringing heroin, and that he thinks that Michael came back, found uh, Sid passed out, and attempted to steal the remaining drugs that they had. And then he had a confrontation with Nancy and stabbed her. I mean, the other things that kind of lead me to think that maybe Sid didn't do it, he apparently had taken 30 Tuniol tablets that night, and that supposedly will get even the biggest junkie knocked out for yeah. hours. Um, police also found six different sets of fingerprints in the room, um, but they never looked beyond Sid Vicious. Like, he was their main suspect right, right away, so uh, nothing ever happened. The other... The other, the other claim that's made is by um, Sid's mom, Ann Beverly, the junkie, the pussy heroin, the pussy junkie. heroin junkie, and she said that they had made a suicide pact. Um, she said that after she cremated him, she found in the pocket of his leather jacket a note that said, we had a death pact and I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me next to my baby. Bury me in my leather jacket, jeans, and motorcycle boots. Goodbye. <laughs> I want to look cute. Yeah. Please put on Joy Division when I commit suicide. <laughs> um, and then this is also uh, in the movie, they kind of take this theory too. They say they were in an argument about the suicide pact and that's, that uh, Sid reneged on the pact and that the, the argument escalated and then Nancy started punching him. And when he was trying to leave the apartment... That's when she accidentally got stabbed because she charged him when his uh, knife was out. Right. By the way, Anne Beverly committed suicide in 1996. Oh, uh, so, so quite a bit a, after. Yeah. It's, it's just a tragic family. Really? So according to um, Legs McNeil, the guy I mentioned earlier, the punk magazine guy, uh, he, he's quoted as saying, it was... When this happened, when Sid died, when Nancy died, and then Sid uh, died at OD'd or suicide, whatever, it was like the Manson family in the 60s. It killed punk overnight. We were doing the Punk Magazine Awards. Lou Reed was there. Everyone was there. The camera crews were there, and all anyone wanted to talk about was Sid and Nancy. And then he said it was disgusting, but I feel like it was a pretty big story. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, and then, according to Johnny Rotten, he at some point said, I'm sorry, God, for the day I brought Sid into the band. The best aspect of his character, which was his humor, just vanished the day he joined the Pistols. Poor Sid, once you start on that heroin trail of self-pity, it's gone. And I do, I did hear that about Sid Vicious, like in some of the other things I read and um, some of the things I listened to, that he did, like, before he became a junkie, was, like, a really fucking funny, fun mm -hmm. person. And then he just, I mean, that makes sense to me, like, the idea of self-pity, right. making you lose all your humor, because even without taking drugs I feel like uh that's pretty common with people when they don't have like a sense of like yeah. joking at at their ex their own expense uh they're usually pretty fucking boring and, and annoying and that's pretty standard with junkies and drug addicts 
I think a lot, I think there are a lot of really talented or charismatic junkies and drug addicts and when right. they're so deep in their addiction, you're, you be, you really do become a shell of a, of a person. Right. So, um, in 2006, Sid Vicious and the other four members of the Sex Pistols were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they did not, they refused to attend because what could be more punk than that? Right. Um, another kind of side note to this, to all of this is um, our old friend Courtney Love. She actually auditioned to play Nancy Spongin. She, I know this story. She yeah. really wanted to be Nancy. Right. She sent in so many taped auditions that were like, you need to let me fucking play Nancy. I am right. Nancy. And she does kind of have like a similar she look. She really has a similar yeah. look to her. Um, so obviously she didn't get the role. role. It went to Chloe Webb. But she is in the movie as right. one of their like, you know, punk junk, friends. junkie punk friends. Um, and then she did kind of become like, a little bit of a Nancy Spongin in the oh, 90s. The 90s yeah. yeah. Um, another funny story I saw, and I love this because it's so fucking shade. Um, there's like a, a famous quote from Kurt Cobain at some point where he said about Chloe, like when he met her in Portland for the first time, she looked like Nancy Spongin, and I probably could have fucked her that night. Um, Kurt Cobain said this. Yeah, Kurt Cobain said this. And then the, I can't remember the article I was reading, but the person was like, that's revisionist history because at the time she had like a poor man's Madonna look. Like she wasn't punk at all. She looked like an MTV Madonna. Yeah. So like their 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 point is that after the fact, Kurt didn't want people to think he wanted to fuck someone who was basic. Oh my god! So he made it seem like she was always this sort of like Nancy Spongin kind of punk rock right. mess or whatever. Right. Um. So I mean, that's basically it. The love story of our time. And, of course, there's a quote from Sid about love. Uh, Who cares about love? Love is for people preparing to die. So it's very Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> the whole thing. Very dramatic. Yeah, it's all fucking... It's it, it's like, kind of like people who never grew up out of their high school, kind of, you know, angsty. Right. And it's probably true, because they were very young. He was 21 when I, he died. I forget that, that they were so young. They were really young. And it's like, if you're doing drugs from 17 on, you're probably still you're 17. Yeah. You're very much stunted emotionally. Um, so that's the story. That's the end. <laughs> I really do. You know, Desi and I were having a conversation today about rock stars were DTF. And unfortunately, most of the rock stars were DTF or oh, dead. Right. Yeah. Um, we got into an argument today, speaking of punk rock, about another punk rock legend who's my personal favorite punk rock legend, Joe Strummer of The Clash. Right. And Desi and I got into an argument about who is the bigger stan of <laughs> Joe Strummer. And I was like, well, look, these are my credentials. <laughs> credentials, the old person's version of saying these are my receipts. Right. Here's my credentials. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was very upset. Well, uh, he, the funny thing is, another thing I heard, like, by the way, Johnny Rotten, or Johnny Lydon, fucking hated the movie Sid and Nancy. Really? He thinks it's all bullshit. And he's like, the, he, one of the things he said that I wanted to bring up was, because of our argument, or I don't even call it an argument, it was like, <laughs> it was we're Twitter both fighting argument. over who's going to fuck a dead person. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Um, he, at some point, was like, the filmmaker didn't even talk to me. He just talked to Joe Strummer, like, and what the fuck? He, like, dissed Joe Strummer. Oh, I was like, what? Like, calm the you. fuck down. Like, as if Joe Strummer was just some, like, fanboy. I was like, oh, right. uh, yeah, he's like, 
his band was way more. <laughs> his band was way more prolific. Yeah. And his lyrics were pretty woke. Well, and I would say they were far more influential in like a real way than the Sex Pistols Musically, were. Musically, they yeah. were influential. Lyrically, they were in- influential. And politically, they were influential. And fuckable. And very fuckable. <laughs> Here, but here's what I was going to say. Sid Vicious is a rock star on DTF. Probably because I fucked several guys that looked exactly like Sid Vicious right. when I was in high school. That was my type in high school. I think, honestly, I felt I feel like my first impression of Sid Vicious was seeing Gary Oldman play him. So I was like, I want to fuck the Gary Oldman Sid Vicious Here's over... Here's Gary Oldman is the... To me, Gary Oldman is the... Besides my boyfriend, Gary Oldman is the sexiest actor of all time. He's hot. He's so hot, especially when he plays Drexel in True Romance. Literally the only Gary I will fuck is Gary Oldman. <laughs> You're not going to fuck my dad? Oh. <laughs> well, that will just, I'll just do that for fun. <laughs> just to do it. Hey, fuck no, your dad. No, he really is. He, he's so hot. He's um, so hot as Sid Vicious, too. Oh, my the God. The other thing I love seeing, too, is, like, people say, like, I love the kind of shade that's always in everything where they're like, Chloe Webb was great, but she's like, Nancy was actually much prettier. I was like, I love that these punks, like, have, oh. like, these, like, you know, little shady, like. She was an actress playing a role, and I think Chloe Webb is very pretty in real life. I think she's fine. And I mean, come on. But Gary Oldman as Sid Vicious, it's a great performance. You have to see it. If you want to fuck both I of those know. guys, you need to see this movie. Uh, no, they're it's together so, in one fuckable package. It's like one of the weirdest things about me that like, I was so, I was like, so, such a little punker when I was like 15, 16. Right. I was like in that little scene, all the guys I fucked looked like Sid Vicious and I've never seen Sid and Nancy before. Yeah, it's you gotta wild. see it. It's, it's so wild. It's a good movie, and you'll, I mean... I bet I'll like it. It's relatable. <laughs> it's so relatable. It came out in 1986. I, I know that about it. Me and my so dates. like... Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a great performance by Gary Oldman, uh, and he's fucking hot. Like, I even want to fuck him as Sirius Black in Harry Potter. <laughs> he's hot in everything. He's I mean, so hot. With the exception of, um, what's that movie, Hannibal? That's the only movie oh. he's not hot in. And even that, he's kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, because that's the know. only way that character could have been hot is because is Gary, Oldman. Gary Oldman. Yeah, to play him. right. I think my even top... when his lip, like his lips, got eaten off. Right, he ate his own face. He off. He ate his own face off, and it's like or the dog ate his face, but he or tore the pig, his own face. right? Somebody, some animal confused. ate his face after he ripped it off. I'll eat his face <laughs> off with my pussy. <laughs> I think that's I yeah I think if if there was if they were gonna make that character hot and he's a deformed person Gary yeah. Oldman is hotter than Sid Vicious I know and as Sid Vicious it's like thank you right <laughs> this is they amazing. got a really hot person to yeah. play me and he looks like Sid Vicious but like the hot version like the Hollywood hot version everybody is like why do these girls want to fuck this is like more contra this is less controversial than when I said I would fuck. Steve Buscemi over Channing Tatum. <laughs> Here's the thing about fucking Steve Buscemi, though. Steve Buscemi eats a mean box. Does he? <laughs> I, I look at you as if you have, like, first-hand proof. I just know these things. I can tell. I'm like the pussy-eating whisperer. I know who can eat box, and I know who can't. That's why I want to fuck Steve Buscemi. He can eat pussy. You can just he, tell. He eats the whole thing. Yeah. He eats everything He goes everything all up and down. Him. He does. <laughs> he bites the thighs. He is- <laughs> He doesn't last long the first time you fuck him, but he'll he gets it together. He, and he fucks it's also again. if any juices fall, he slide down. Up. He licks it all. Up. 
<laughs> we think we think about these things. We We're do. fucking take this seriously. And we also learned today that Desi would fuck Bruce Springsteen. Well, because you said, are there any good rock stars to fuck left? That are alive. And I will tell you, I'm not like a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, but he is fucking hot. Like, he has, Look at Bruce Springsteen right now. Has do, Does any man look hotter than Bruce Springsteen so at his hot. age? Like, he, I don't even know how it's possible. He's so fucking hot. Like, my mom has seen Bruce Springsteen in concert like 50 or 60 times probably. I was in my mom's stomach in her womb. Sorry to be technical. <laughs> In 1985, when she was at a Bruce Springsteen concert, I was like in there rocking out. And I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan. I think that whatever. was the first time Rachel masturbated. That was the first time I jerked <laughs> off was in the womb, in my mom's womb at a Bruce Springsteen concert in 1985. But he is so like I've I seen, literally have never seen a hotter man at his age. He's which like, like 67 or something, and he is fucking stunning. And he doesn't. And he aged gracefully too. You know he can fuck. You said it. On Twitter today, when we were during our argument <laughs> about how he takes care of working class pussy, yeah. and I was literally thinking the same fucking thing as I was like, you know, he eats that working class pussy, like yeah, he, you just know he gets fucking down into it. Right. I also love him because he left his model wife for his backup singer, who was like oh. way less conventionally pretty, right. though. And I just felt like that was as if you're gonna cheat, that's the hottest cheat well, to to go down yeah, like in the public's so estimation. Because it's like he fucks that he could fuck that backup singer, and you know his model wife was probably like, eh. well, she probably <laughs> laid there like a dead piece of sushi. right because she wants to look good and not have a role or. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing about Bruce Springsteen. I was gonna say that too. Is I feel like not only does he fuck the working class pussy, he fucks all the different types of. Pussy, like he's not—he's not the woke guy on Twitter who like will never fuck a fat chick. I think I tried to follow him on Twitter one time because I was like, I will fuck, I can fuck. Him. <laughs> I can get him. I, can get I can't Bruce. remember if he doesn't have a Twitter account or if it's just like a fan thing or whatever. And I was just like, oh, what am I doing? This is worse than the time I tried to fuck D'Angelo on Twitter <laughs> or Cory Booker yeah. last year. Last year, Desi had this mission to fuck Cory Booker. She was like, I just <laughs> followed Corey on Twitter. I'm going to fuck him, and then I'm going to become the first lady. And then <laughs> you know, I got to make Twitter interesting sometimes. No one else does anything on there. <laughs> so, well, that's like a sidetrack. Yeah. But it was an important one, I, just, I think. I, I really can't think of any other... Please at reply me all the rock stars that I should be fucking. <laughs> we talked about. I think we if you if you are a patron, you would know that we already talked about fucking Robert Plant. Right. On our bonus episode last yeah. week. If and you liked this little uh, teaser of our sex talk, uh, you should definitely hit up our Patreon for $5 because there's tons of uh, good juicy, juicy, juicy. stories. We're yeah. about to record something after this for our, this week's bonus episode. It's going to be nasty as fuck. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, that's it. Thank okay, you. Bye. bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.